You're listening to an Economy Matters podcast produced by the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. The Federal Open Market Committee concluded a two-day meeting earlier today. The pace of job today. growth has been strong. Downside risks to the outlook for the, the number economy. of Fed officials. The shadow banking system is large. We've come a long way since the darkest day of the financial crisis. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Economy Matters podcast. I'm Tom Heinches, Managing Editor of the Atlanta Fed's Economy Matters magazine. Today, we're visited by Pat Higgins, an economist here at the Atlanta Fed. Pat is the uh, mastermind, I'll say, behind GDP Now, which is a tool that provides a real-time snapshot of gross domestic product. And with all the attention on GDP, well, there's always a lot of attention on GDP, but especially these days, I asked Pat to join us on the podcast to discuss GDP and more specifically, GDP Now's snapshots of, of GDP growth or lack of growth, whatever the case may be. Uh, Thanks for being here today, Pat. Good to have you back on. Thank you, Tom. Pat, uh, so far I've avoided using the word forecast because I know GDP now, as impressive as it is, is not a crystal ball. Uh, Am I right to avoid saying forecast? And and can you distinguish between what GDP now depicts and a forecast? So thank you, Tom. Uh, I would say the terminology around economic prognostications is it's probably loose enough to not allow the numbers generated by GDP now to be called either forecast or something similar like economic projections. I guess one might quibble with calling GDP now's estimates for a quarter that has recently ended a forecast since it is making a prediction about something that has already occurred in the recent past. But the more important distinction is that unlike uh, economist surveys, GDP now does not incorporate any subjective adjustments based on developments or factors that fall outside of the scope of the model. So it probably does make sense to call the headline numbers from GDP now either a model or model-based forecast or something similar to that. Uh, Whichever terminology you prefer, you are right that GDP now is not a crystal ball. It tends to become more accurate as approaches the official GDP release date, but that is definitely not always the case. Right. That's a great distinction. Thank you for making it. Pat, can you briefly discuss the the mechanics of GDP now? you know, keeping in mind that you're not talking to a fellow economist, how does it work over the course of a quarter? And what do we typically see over the course of a quarter uh, in terms of the run-up to the official final uh, GDP number that Bureau of Economic Analysis puts out? Uh, So perhaps the best way or the easiest way to convey how GDP now works is with an example. And so I'll describe how it handles consumer spending or uh, the official name, personal consumption expenditures which is the largest GDP subcomponent in the sense that it comprised nearly 70% of last year's uh, $23 trillion in U.S. gross domestic product. Right. So after the uh, BA releases June data on consumer spending on the last business day of what's currently July, uh, GDP now will initiate its forecast for third quarter consumer spending growth. However, the model won't actually have any data at all on, on, any, on consumer spending uh, for July through September of this quarter. And its forecast is going to depend on how it projects uh, the data to come in for each of these three months based on recent macroeconomic data trends and its statistical forecasting equations. Before the BEA releases its estimate of July consumer spending, which will come out on August 26th, it will be released data related to that on auto sales at the beginning of the month and um, retail sales, which will come out in the middle of the month. And GDP now will update its forecast of consumer spending based on each of those two data points. And although it won't exactly be able to get those parts of personal consumption expenditures exactly right, it'll get a lot closer typically than would without having that data. 
And, and that same pattern will apply exactly the same way to August and September. It'll get some of the data, except by the end of the quarter, it won't actually have services spending for consumer spending uh, when it makes its final forecast in late October, actually. So it'll, it'll have a lot of the data that will come in that's related to consumer spending, but not all of it. And in that sense, it's not surprising that GDP now gets more accurate on that subcomponent than it does on some other, you know, at, at the end of the quarter than it does at the beginning, certainly. Right. Yeah. And I should note for listeners that we're having this conversation in, in very late July, which is uh, the data we're seeing right now. And I want to ask you about the other subcomponents of, of GDP now. So the other subcomponents of GDP, there actually isn't uh, monthly data exactly like there is for consumer spending. So those subcomponents are probably a little more indirectly related to the source data uh, than consumer spending. But I would say the methodology is fairly similar for the most part. There are some examples like non-residential investment and research and development and other intellectual property products where the the first estimate is actually going to be based on judgmental trends from the BEA that GDP now is never going to have any data on. So for that subcomponent, it's not really surprising that 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 initial forecast it makes is generally not too dissimilar from the final forecast it makes since it's really not getting a lot of intermediate data over the next three months. Uh, but for the other subcomponents, it's something sort of in between those, the consumption and intellectual property products cases, where it gets a lot of uh, related data, but not as closely related as consumer spending. But the numbers definitely do change. So what, essentially what happens is GDP now makes a forecast for the related the data that's related to the GDP subcomponents. And if the data comes in stronger than the model anticipated, the forecast up goes up. And if it comes in weaker, the forecast goes down, essentially. And that always happens every quarter, essentially. Well, Pat, in, in, uh, in 2022, GDP now missed by nearly two percentage points in the first quarter, uh, forecasting a slightly positive growth when actual output declined by more than one percentage point. Why was the error so large? And has GDP now been less accurate during the pandemic than the five to eight years before that? And, and I, a follow-up question, will we continue to see a larger I hate to call it a margin of error, but I will for lack of a better term. Yeah, uh, thanks, Tom. So I think margin of error is actually a pretty good way to think about it, since that's typically you want to say that there's a confidence interval, and maybe 90% of the time the data is going to come inside that confidence interval, but even out 10% of the time it comes outside of that. And so you can kind of characterize, based on historical patterns, how often forecasts have fallen inside a particular range. Uh, So that's probably a good way to think about it. So the first quarter you missed, you referred to a bit more than one percentage point. Uh, Typically, that would have been a larger error than the model might have expected prior to the pandemic. But I would say that's not an atypical error uh, during the pandemic. Most of that error was concentrated in net exports. I think maybe a little over one percentage point. So nearly two-thirds of the miss was in net exports. And so the, for the second quarter, uh, that number that actually just came out today as we're speaking, uh, net exports was also a relatively large miss, almost a percentage point on that. But just by chance, other subcomponents uh, kind of canceled those out in some sense. So GDP now is overly optimistic in consumer and government spending forecasts. And it just happened to be the case that those kind of offset each other. So sometimes that happens and GDP now is reasonably close, but other times, like in the first quarter, it doesn't, and you have, you know, relatively large misses. Right. Well, in general, how would you characterize uh, GDP now's accuracy for a single given quarter? I mean, I imagine achieving great accuracy within a window that small is, is really challenging. Uh, yeah. So I would, I would say prior to the pandemic, uh, something like 
half a percentage point to a percentage point might have been a typical miss. Uh, and the subcomponent forecast errors were, I would say, generally a little bit smaller than that. And then so, since we've entered in the pandemic, essentially all of the subcomponent forecast errors have gotten larger and the aggregate GDP now, or yeah, forecast has gone up as well. The uncertainty has definitely gone up. I, I would say the, the forecast error we've got this quarter for 0.3 percentage points is probably, uh, probably a low. That's a pretty good, good forecast. Uh, maybe something like a percentage point is probably more typical of what, what you would see. Right. Well, uh, let's talk about the other um, uh, models that take snapshots of, of GDP. Did you observe other measures uh, similarly missing the mark? I'm not sure how much solace there would be, but was there a feeling of strength in numbers among those who forecast GDP growth? Yeah. So in the first quarter, I would say GDP now uh, was overly optimistic. Some professional forecasters were as well, and they probably missed by close to two percentage points as well on that first quarter number. So there probably was some consolation that, you know, if other forecasters are having a harder time being accurate, then it's not something just specific to the GDP now model. It's essentially, it's a harder environment to forecast in. I, I would say it's probably more often the case that GDP now differs to some, some extent from other forecasters, uh, particularly the consensus assessment from professional forecasters. And so I think it's important in some sense to compare GDP now's forecast with professional forecasters to, uh, to give the model some sort of reality check, like to emphasize this is not necessarily the best or only forecast of GDP there is. Right. Well, I mean, we, we touched on the pandemic, and I, I want to follow up on that. How did the early months of the pandemic, you know, back, going back to 2020, affect GDP now specifically and, and more broadly GDP? Yeah, so I would say late in March of 2020, uh, when, when we were all aware of the pandemic and businesses had shut down and, you know, things like that, there really wasn't any March data released where the macroeconomic impact was kind of recognized by the data. And so it's, at that point, G, GDP now was still pretty optimistic about growth. But once, it's, once that March data started coming in, it came down pretty steeply. So by, by the end of the quarter, it was essentially forecasting a small con contraction in GDP. Uh, the actual contraction was mu much larger because uh, services spending, which was where a lot of the decline was concentrated, and that, that data actually wasn't released before the first report. So GDP now missed essentially the, the entire miss, four percentage points, was essentially concentrated in that one subcomponent. And as 2020 went on, it, it was the most unusual year, we all recall. And what about the rest of the year? Yeah, so essentially through April and May, the forecast kept coming down. Essentially, the pandemic uh, had an extremely large, unprecedentedly large impact on macroeconomic measures like consumer spending and employment. And so sort of uh, at the nadir of its forecast, it essentially forecasted a, even a bigger contraction in GDP that actually happened about twice as large. So it did not anticipate kind of the big rebound in activity that occurred in May and June of that year. And essentially, uh, as it got data points coming in that indicated stronger growth and a big rebound, the forecast essentially got revised up both for the second quarter and the third quarter. By the end of the forecast cycle for each of those quarters, it ended up in, you know, kind of reasonably close to the, what actually happened, although you know, 30 to 60 days before that, it was off by quite a lot. Right. Well, in response to all, all this, um, 
these fluctuations and everything. Did you make any modifications to the model in response? And, and uh, why did you make any modifications if, if you did? Probably the biggest modifications we made were in April 2021 when kind of the most extreme months of the pandemic in terms of its effects on macroeconomic data were already apparent. And so what happened in uh, sort of from March to May is you had this huge decline in economic activity and this really rapid rebound in some sense. And those were so large relative to what had happened in previous recessions where you had essentially six to 12 months of weak economic activity followed by some rebound gradually occurring. We didn't want to have the model essentially forecast that something like that occurring again, where where if you have a, a huge decline in economic activity, you would expect a rapid rebound since essentially that was, it only happened because of the pandemic and that really isn't kind of a new normal for recessions or the way we think about them. So essentially what the model did was kind of introduce uh, what are called statisticians call dummy variables to say what occurred in this period is essentially specific to that, uh, those two months or three months during the pandemic, and that we shouldn't expect those things to repeat themselves to go forward. So I, I would say essentially we're trying to get uh, the GDP now model to work kind of in the same way it did prior to the pandemic when it had only data prior to the pandemic. So I would, I would characterize it as more of a recalibration of the model than kind of a structural overhaul in some sense. I don't want to get too in the weeds here because I'll quickly get over my head, but how do you see these improvements enhancing the accuracy of the GDP now model? So I, I would say you would not want to see this again, but if you saw something like another pandemic occur again, sort of the model was going to not be impacted, you know, two or three quarters later by what happened in the pandemic, essentially. So it's essentially like the big impacts of the second quarter decline in economic activity and the big rebound in the third quarter, influencing the model forecasts that were made in the first quarter of 2021 in a way that didn't make the model more accurate. So it's essentially trying to sort of the distortions that are put into the model by the pandemic, trying to make those go away as quickly as possible in some sense. Right. Well, Pat, let's turn from talking about the GDP Now model and, and discuss actual GDP. Uh, in the first quarter of the year, uh, real GDP declined, and, and GDP Now is, is projecting a decline in the second quarter as well. Does this mean the economy is or will be in a recession? Yes. So you're right. The GDP declined in the first quarter and actually in the second quarter. So According to some technical definitions that it's kind of cited in the news media uh, by some, be characterized as a recession, although it's not a recession until the National Bureau of Economic Research or the NBER classifies it as such. And so the indicators, they typically look at things like personal consumption expenditures, payroll employment, industrial production, et cetera. Those indicators are actually, they're kind of all smushed together in something called the coincident index from the conference board. And that indicator actually in the first half of the year grew as rapidly as it did on average during the entire decade of the 2010s, a period where there weren't any recessions. So based on the way the NBER has uh, classified recessions in the past, it's unlikely, uh, I would say in my own opinion, that they would characterize what happened in the first year as a recession in spite of the decline in GDP in both of the first quor two quarters. Well, you, you talk about the NBE, NBER's uh, yardstick for a recession, which is two consecutive quarters of contraction. Is, is that the, the only yardstick used to measure a recession? Or? 
No, so I, they actually don't use that at all. I think that's the and the kind of the financial press, the two-quarter definition, or even some for other countries that might be used. But the National Bureau of Economic Research, I don't think they have a fixed methodology, but it's definitely not the two-quarter decline in real GDP. So, for example, in the 2001 recession, there was never two quarters of consecutive decline, but that was still characterized as a recession in some sense. There are other and other indicators like the, the unemployment rate. Uh, so every recession that's gone up by at least half a percentage point. Uh, it's called the SOM rule after Claudia SOM, and that, that's still at it, the lowest rate it's been during the pandemic and hasn't gone up at all. So GDP is really the one indicator that behaved kind of like what you would see in a recession. Almost every other one has not. Right. Well. Pat, if I could put you on the spot here, how do you interpret the signals we're seeing? We've talked about a lot of data. I guess a lot of it's noisy. And How do you interpret those signals? Yes. So I would say the signals from GDP are probably not as bleak as the actual headline numbers showing uh, something like a one and a half percentage point decline in the first quarter and about one percent in the second. Uh, in terms of its forecasting ability, there's a subcomponent of GDP or GDP called real final sales to private domestic purchasers, uh, and that's kind of a long-winded name just for consumer spending and investment, except for everything in inventories. Essentially, when they're actually making fixed investment rather than replacing their inventories, if you combine that with consumer spending, that actually forecasts GDP growth itself one to four quarters out more accurately, historically at least, than GDP does. And so that indicator increased 3% in the first quarter and was flat in the second quarter, grew uh, 0% growth, but it did not decline. Uh, so I would say overall, that number is essentially indicating that the economy has definitely slowed somewhat. I would say sort of in terms of forecasting ability, the, the numbers still really aren't giving a negative signal. The headline GDP numbers are. Right. Well, I mean, as we've noted, GDP growth has been weak or even negative recently, but Jobs growth has continued to be quite strong. Is this sort of divergence or disconnect unusual, historically speaking? And what, what are we to make of this sort of dynamic? Yeah, thanks, Tom. I would say it's pretty unusual. So the, the typical way I would say most analysts or economists compare uh, the labor market with uh, GDP or sort of the business, business sector output is with productivity measurement. And so that productivity, which is closely related to GDP over employment, in the first quarter, that decline uh, in productivity was the second largest over the past 75 years. And based on the data we have for business sector output this quarter, what we're likely to see in the productivity report released early next month would be probably a two-quarter decline larger than anything we've seen kind of in the post-war era by probably quite a bit. So even though there are kind of the steps conceptual distinctions between productivity and uh, GDP over employment, I would say those are minor enough to say that really these things have been quite at odds with each other. And we have to allow for the revisions, which frequently happen as new data come in. Yeah, that's right. Uh, sometimes those re revisions can be pretty substantial. And so we have seen negative productivity growth rates get revised up to some extent. Productivity data itself is actually quite noisy. So uh, you can get negative readings definitely quite often on a one- or two-quarter basis, and even on a four-quarter basis, you'll see a negative productivity uh, reading. I would just say the magnitude of what you're seeing kind of currently is just kind of gives an indication of you really, we've really never seen anything where like 300,000 jobs added a month 
for six straight months in both of those quarters, you had negative growth rates. That definitely never happened before. Yeah. Well, Pat, I can't let this episode end without touching on inflation. And I know that GDP now isn't an inflation tool, and there are many such measures out there that you know, look at inflation, including some by the Atlanta Fed. But I wanted to ask you if the current accelerated rate of inflation has an impact on, on how GDP functions. Can you discuss that? Yeah, so essentially much of the source data that GDP now receives, that's a nominal dollar-valued spending uh, that's released uh, very often by the Census Bureau. And so what GDP now does is take uh, price indices from other reports, often released from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, like the Consumer Price Index and Producer Price Index, to form a price index is essentially related to the nominal spending indicator from the Census Bureau and kind of create its own real or inflation-adjusted series, essentially, and uses that to forecast the subcomponents of GDP. So that's going to work, essentially, whether or not inflation is high or low. We're still going to get data on those price indices, and GDP now will be able to forecast a real growth rate. The one caution I would add is essentially once inflation gets higher and higher, sort of the technical things that GDP now has to do, like do some seasonal adjustment of those indicators or some interpolation of indicators, uh, that gets probably somewhat more difficult and less accurate when the inflation rates uh, rising to higher levels. So those more technical issues, like you just mentioned, seasonal adjustments or seasonally adjusted price changes, they don't really impede GDP now in performing its snapshots? Yeah, I would say that's, that's largely the case. The, the one caution I would give is when, so typically if you had a retail sales report that showed something like 1% growth in a month, that would be a quite strong report. And we did get that a month ago, but we also had a consumer price index reading that went up over 1% that same month, and real retail sales growth are probably very minimal in some sense. So it does make it kind of more difficult to interpret some of those offending reports like retail sales, but GDP now does do the price adjustments necessary to forecast real GDP. Right. Well, Pat, uh, this has been a really enlightening conversation. I've looked forward to it for some time, and you've given us all a lot to to think about today, and I want to thank you for taking the time to, uh, to talk through with this all with us today. Uh, Thank you, Tom. I very much enjoyed our conversation. And uh, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Economy Matters podcast. Again, I'm Tom Heinches, managing editor of the Atlanta Fed's Economy Matters magazine, and I appreciate your spending some time with us today. I encourage you to visit Economy Matters at atlantafed.org and read the many interesting features we have for you there, as well as on the Atlanta Fed website, which is where you'll find the GDP Now tool we've we've been discussing this episode. I encourage you to follow us on social media as well so you can get real-time GDP Now updates as we receive them, which happen quite often. Thanks again for listening, and let's meet again next month. This has been a production of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. For more podcasts on this topic and others, please visit the Atlanta Fed's website at atlantafed.org.